John chapter 7 and verse 37. We're starting a, a, a kind of mini series tonight looking at the Lord Jesus Christ in his different roles as prophet, priest and king. And tonight we're, we're looking at what it means that Jesus is a prophet. And uh, we see those things certainly come out in John chapter 7 and 8. So let's look at from verse 37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this, uh, by this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Therefore many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem, where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Now some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why have you not brought him? The officers answered, no man ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. Uh, let's continue our reading. We'll, we'll, we'll skip the first few verses of chapter 8, um, but we're in verse 13. We'll, go to, we'll start from verse 13 of chapter 8. The Pharisees therefore said to him, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I'm not alone. But I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Then they said to him, Where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. Whenever it refers in John's gospel as his hour not yet come, it means that the time for Jesus to die hadn't yet come. Picking up in verse 21. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away 
and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Then they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the father. Then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself. But as my father taught me, I speak these things and he who sent me is with me. The father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham's our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, and that is God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my words. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and a father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe in me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Then the Jews answered and said to him, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my words, he shall never see death. Then the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. 
Abraham is dead and the prophets. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? And the prophets are dead. Who do you make yourself to be? Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him. But I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him. I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out to the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. This is God's word. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the ways in which Jesus is revealed to be prophet, priest, and king. We just um, saw those words in that song. We would say a, a Christian is someone who knows God. But when we say such a thing as knowing God, we can forget that we can only know God because he has revealed himself to us. God wasn't hiding and waiting for some genius to discover him. God revealed himself to us. He's done this in, in many different ways. He's done it in, in general ways. The, the wonderful world he has created and that he sustains daily. In the Psalms, we read, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out onto all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. So whenever we look at the beautiful uh, starry night that we see maybe once every few years here in, in the, the city, or if we, if we climb up some, some mountain, so I'm told there are wonderful views uh, to be seen. But he's also revealed himself to us in more special ways, such as the physical appearance of God in the Old Testament. We see that on a number of occasions. He gives uh, some people dreams and visions. He's given us the Bible, the written word of God. But most importantly, he's given us the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he's revealed himself most fully to us. And we're so used to referring to Jesus as Jesus Christ that we sometimes forget that it's not just a his surname, it's not his surname, but it's a, a title that tells us who he is. When we say Jesus Christ, it's his title. We sometimes refer to Jesus as the Messiah. And both of those words, Christ and Messiah, they mean the same thing. Christ is the Greek word and uh, the Hebrew term is Messiah. And Jesus has referred to both of these as both of these in the New Testament. If you look at Mark chapter 1 and verse 1, it starts like this. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. So it's like that, the start of his life. And if you look at the end of his life, when he's on trial to be killed, 
It says this, but he kept silent and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, are you the Christ? And if you've been to church for any real amount of time, if, even if you've been coming for a couple of weeks, you'll have heard Jesus referred to by those titles, Messiah, Christ. So what do they actually mean? Well, they mean anointed one. In the Old Testament, to be anointed was to have this special ceremonial oil poured over your head. It was for people who have been set aside for a certain role. This was done uh, as, as a, a symbolic thing of something far more um, special and more spiritual. Uh, where someone had been specifically chosen to do a special role by God, they were anointed and God gave strict instructions how to make this special oil and who it was to be used for. It wasn't just to be used for anyone. The people that were anointed in the Old Testament were prophets and priests and kings. But they were all pointing forward to the great Messiah, the great Christ, the, the true anointed one. Someone who would not only be anointed with the Spirit, but would be filled in a, in a way that hadn't been seen before. And the whole of the Old Testament, that first huge chunk of your Bibles, is all pointing forward to someone to come. In Isaiah, it says, the Spirit will rest on him. And in one of the Psalms, it says, the Father would anoint him with the oil of gladness, above all others. And then these promises that the people have been looking forward to are fulfilled when Jesus comes into the world. Jesus is described like this in the book of John. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the spirit without limit. And that is why, if you think about the beginning of Jesus's ministry he'd he'd grown up and he'd worked with his father and been a carpenter for for many years but when he was 30 years old he started his public ministry where he where he preached to people and he healed people and he did these things in public and he was anointed not with oil but with the holy spirit and with the words of the father we read this. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending. Only acting as conquering king, driving out the demons to their destruction. But how does he perform this kingly act? With a word. Go. The powerful word of a prophet. And what is the result? Two formerly unclean men are restored, cleansed, able again to enter the temple to worship God. A mighty priest has been at work. You see, he is the Christ. He is always prophet, priest, and king. But it's also helpful for us to, to look at what those individual roles entail too. And as we grasp these things, my hope and my prayer is that it will help us to understand how we ought to live as believers. We're all supposed to be prophets, priests, and kings, because we're made in the image of Christ. We're supposed to be prophets in the way that we communicate God's word to others. We're supposed to be priests in the way that 
our whole lives are to be a living sacrifice to God. And as kings, as we live for the king of kings, knowing that if we live for him, as it says in 2 Timothy, that we will reign with him. And this evening, we're going to look at what it means for Christ to be a prophet. And when you hear the term prophet, you can be forgiven for thinking of of, uh, some fortune teller uh, hunched over a crystal ball in a a gloomy caravan somewhere, making some vague predictions about your future. And while the Old Testament prophets did sometimes speak of the future to come, that is a misunderstanding of what the Bible talks about when it talks about prophets. The prophets were people who encountered God. And were instructed to speak on God's behalf to his people. They were a spokesman for God. They were the mouthpiece of God. They would faithfully communicate what God wanted his people to hear. They revealed God to his people. They showed them God's desire and God's heart. And what did they say to the people then? Well, they inevitably called people to repentance. They said, They showed people that they were living in sin and rebellion, and they needed to be pointed back to the way in which God wanted them to live. It was the prophets who spoke against their sin. And they did this by reminding the people of a promise, of a covenant promise. They reminded them that if they were faithful to God, he would be faithful to them. And if they were disobedient, then there would be consequences. And we think of uh, the time of of a king called Ahab, which was the height of this disobedience. And God raised up mighty prophets, Elijah and Elisha, and they performed miracles and spoke against these false teachers and false gods. And prophets were often asked to do really weird things in order to demonstrate these kind of pictures that God wanted people to see. If you read through the Old Testament, some of the things that you'll see prophets do. Jeremiah hiding his pants under a rock. Um, Hosea being asked to marry a prostitute and name his his children really weird names. Ezekiel's got the toughest gig of the lot. He's at one point asked to eat a, a scroll. He's supposed to lay on one side for 390 days. He's supposed to cook a meal over poo. And he's supposed to give a sermon to a graveyard. These are really difficult things, but things that God clearly wanted his people to see. And when you read these things, you'll see what they mean. All these specific things communicated a different thing that God wanted his people to see. And the the thing that you see with, with all these prophets, when you read about them in the Old Testament, is that they were faithfully putting their lives on the line. They were not welcomed by the people. They were not celebrities. They were opposed. They were were outcasts. They were ridiculed. They were rejected. But they show us the importance of God speaking. Because communication is, is vital, isn't it? We all need to communicate. God communicates through his prophets. They were God's spokesmen. But there was one to come who would also be rejected and ridiculed beyond anything that the Old Testament prophets were. And his message would be an offense to many. And he was the prophet that had been prophesied about. So let us look at this man, Jesus. In Hebrews 1, we we read these wonderful words. 
God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. So, so previously, the guy that wrote Hebrews, or the, or the gal, previously, God has spoken through prophets, but now he has revealed himself through Jesus. He has spoken to us, the verse says, through his son. The brilliant news that we have is that Jesus is God, that the God who created and sustains the world has come into the world. Or as John puts it, the word became flesh. And he's called the word for a very specific reason. It's not just a a throwaway title. If you want to know what I think on a certain topic, I'm quite an opinionated person, my words will reveal what I will think of a certain uh, food or a certain person or a certain uh, film. My comments, my my conversations, my my messages, my statements, my, my tweets, they will contain words which reveal my heart. And John calls Jesus the word because he was and is the final and decisive message of God. He reveals God's heart. If we want to know what God thinks, we need to look at Jesus. For us to understand who God is, it is shown to us in the life of Jesus because he is God. Everything that he does shows us exactly what God would do because he is God. And when we read in Deuteronomy, the the life of Moses is coming to an end and the people are without hope. And he gives them this promise. The Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. So, so Moses prophesies of, of someone greater to come. And the people of Israel hold on to this promise. They eagerly await this great prophet like Moses to come. And you pick up on that in the New Testament. In John's gospel, we see people approach John the Baptist, who is this weird man in the desert who seemed to be a bit like those weird prophets in the Old Testament. And they come up to him and they say, who are you? And he confesses, I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you, are you Elijah? I am not. Are you the prophet, they ask? So you see in the New Testament that they're eagerly awaiting this, this promised prophet. And it wasn't John the Baptist. And so when John's cousin, this Jesus of Nazareth, starts healing people, starts saying these outrageous things and raises people from the dead, you see the response. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Or think of the conversation that he has with the woman at the well in Samaria. The woman says to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us. God has visited his people. 
But let me tell you this evening that believing in Jesus as a prophet is not what makes you a Christian. Many people believe that today. If I walked into a mosque um, on a Friday afternoon and I asked uh, what they thought of Jesus, they would tell you straight away, Jesus is a, a wonderful prophet. But to see Jesus as a prophet is not enough. We need to see that Jesus wasn't just a messenger, but he was the message itself. You see, his person and his work are, are the focal point of Old Testament prophecy, yet he himself was also a prophet. He was the long-awaited prophet greater than Moses. We, we sang those wonderful words earlier, Christ, the true and better Moses, called to lead a people home, standing bold to earthly powers, God's great glory to be known. With his arms stretched wide to heaven, see the waters part in two, see the veil is torn forever, cleansed with blood we pass now through. Moses was a, a great man, and yet he is nothing compared to the Lord Jesus. Jesus didn't just speak truth, he was truth. He didn't just lead the people out of Egypt like Moses had done. He, he led the people out of slavery to sin. And as we read those words from John 7 and 8, it's a passage of scripture which perfectly exemplifies why Jesus is the perfect prophet. He shows all the hallmarks that we just mentioned about prophets in the Old Testament but fulfills them and, and, and betters them and changes them to make them even more spectacular. He's, he's sent by God and reveals God to others. If, if you think of that as a, a, a classic hallmark of a prophet, that's what Jesus does. Look at verse 18 and 19. And if you see those verses, you, you see the authority with which Jesus speaks. And whereas... Other teachers of the time had to refer to the rabbis and the teachers of the previous generation. Jesus spoke with an unparalleled authority. He was able to understand and apply the words in a way which no one else was able to. If you think of the way in which uh, he, he preaches on the Sermon on the Mount, or when you, you think of the temptation in the, in the desert, and he is able to say with great authority, this is what the word of God says. This is why the word of God is the, is the true source of life. And while others taught saying, this rabbi said this, and this rabbi said that, with all their footnotes and their, the things that they had read, Jesus said, this is what I have to say to you. This is what I have to say, because this is no longer someone uh, quoting someone else's work. This is God himself speaking. And that's why he received such violent opposition throughout his ministry. They couldn't believe the audacity, the authority that this man had. Some of the words that he speaks in those two chapters are just, are unbelievable, aren't they? And, and the other thing, that is like a, an Old Testament prophet, is that he calls people to repentance. He calls people to repentance. 
you meet people sometimes and they say that they they like Jesus because he said some great things and he never judged anyone he never never says anything about other people's lives he just let people do what they want he he, he left them to themselves i don't like christians because they're so judgmental and they they have such strong opinions on what other people do but when we read about jesus he calls people to repentance he has very strong opinions on what other people's lives are like look at verse 23 he said to them you are from beneath i am from above you are of this world i am not of this world therefore i said to you this is non-judgmental jesus of course that you will die in your sins for if you do not believe that i am he you will die in your sins and the old testament prophets would remind the people of their covenant with God and the the consequences of breaking it. Jesus calls people to turn away from their sins. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And Jesus wasn't a prophet who ignored the plight of the people he spoke to. He didn't just say, you've got deep problems here. No, he said, you've got deep problems and I'm the one who can help you. I am the one who can save you. Look at verse 34. Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. He says, you are slaves to sin. Your whole lives are dictated by this brokenness, by this sadness, by this... uh, selfishness that you can't get rid of and you're going to die if you don't turn away from them but i tell you i can offer you freedom i can offer you emancipation i can break the chains of slavery today jesus also speaks of the future look at verse 28 jesus said to them when you lift up the son of man Then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself. He's speaking plainly about his death to come, that one day that they will lift him up, they will crucify him. They will know in that moment who he is. What what does the centurion, the Roman soldier say when he sees the way in which Jesus is so forgiving, so gracious even in his death? Surely this man was the son of God. He tells the future, doesn't he? But the the difference between Jesus and the Old Testament prophets was he is not pointing to what God is doing. He's pointing to what he is doing because he is God himself. There was not a starting point for Jesus' prophetic calling. There was not a moment where Jesus became a prophet and started to be a prophet. And he wasn't called for a specific moment He's been with the Father throughout eternity. Whereas the prophets could only speak of a outside of themselves of a of a wonderful Savior to come. Jesus speaks of himself and how he is able to save. I am the light of the world. I am the source of life. I have been around since before Abraham. 
I can set you free. But like the prophets, he was rejected. He was vilified. He was laughed at. He was mocked. He was hated. He was killed. And so there are these two responses to Jesus, the prophet, who has come into the world. What is your response to Jesus, the truth? The truth sets some free. You see that in verse 32. The truth will set you free, it says. We all want freedom in some form of another. Freedom to do exactly what we want and when we want. Freedom of speech, political freedom, national freedom. But none of these compare to the freedom which Christ is offering here. Freedom from sin. Sin promises so much. You could be happy if you just did this. You could be, you could have so much pleasure if you just did this, but it only causes sorrow. It causes misery. And that's while you're living. It only ends in death. And everyone, and I mean everyone, is born into this slavery. Jesus not only opens our eyes to this situation, but he tells us how we can get out of it, of our need of saving. He is the one who is able to save us through his death and resurrection. He cancels the debt we owe. He takes the punishment that we deserve. There are many of you sat here this evening who can testify to that freedom. Freedom from guilt. Freedom from death. Freedom from hell itself. Freedom from sin. But for others here this evening, you do not know that freedom. You may feel as if you're free, but you're living under the effects of sin. And you may not feel as if you're opposed to Jesus. You may say, I'm sitting on the fence tonight. I haven't yet made my mind up. I'm at a, a crossroads in my life and I may follow Jesus, but I may do my own thing. That's not how it works. All who do not see Jesus as their only savior are lost, are dead, and they need a savior. If Jesus is not your savior, he is your enemy tonight. Because you want to be responsible for your own life. You don't want to rely on someone else. You think you're good enough. But there is a day coming when, when Jesus is coming back as king. Yes, but also as a, as a prophet. There's a terrifying image that we see in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, where we see the prophet, the true word of God, coming in judgment. This is what it says. He is clothed in a, in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. He will judge, but he will judge fairly because he is the truth. He is the good judge. So I want to ask you this evening, will you be able to stand on that day? If you're a believer here tonight, you have nothing to worry about. There is no fear because the wrath that you were supposed to face has already been dealt with at the cross. 
Jesus stood in my place. I'm free. So how will you respond to him tonight? And lastly, really short point for, especially for the Christians here tonight. You are called to be prophets today. We looked at Acts 2 this morning and there was that prophecy from the book of Micah. And it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. We need to be so careful as we navigate what it means to be a prophet today. We don't believe in people hearing new things directly from God. So much harm has been done by so-called prophets hearing something from God, which sounds a lot like what they want you to do. Jesus warned about false Christs and false prophets that would come, that would lead people astray. So many people have caused damage to the church and damage to people by claiming to speak on God's behalf. The Lord Jesus was God's final statement. Nothing needs to be added to perfection. The last chapter of the Bible says this, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from these words, God will take away his share in the tree of life. God is serious about this. We cannot add to what he has already said. So how can we, as believers, who are made in the image of Christ, fulfill this role of prophet? Well, by studying and hearing and listening to the word of God. With the spirit which has been poured out, we will handle it rightly. We will fight against sin. We will speak the truth to others. We will call people to repentance. We will minister and encourage others. But we don't do this by, by sitting in a room and, and waiting for God to say something fresh to us. We've got the Bible. Jesus has spoken to us through his words. Parents are to communicate God's words to children. Uh, friends are supposed to do it to, to colleagues and neighbors. Older Christians are to, to communicate the word to younger Christians. And we look forward to the day when in the new heavens and the new earth, we will understand with perfect clarity what the Lord Jesus wants us to hear. We're going to finish by singing of the word of God. You're the author of creation. You're the Lord of every man and your cry of love rings out across the lands. Yet you left the gaze of angels, came to seek and save the lost and exchange the joy of heaven for the anguish of a cross with a prayer. Listen, these are all about Christ's words. With a prayer, you fed the hungry. With a word, you stilled the sea. Yet how silently you suffered that the guilty may go free. Hallelujah. What a savior. Let's stand and sing this song.